0: Welcome to the Wellness Guys show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christophe, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damien Christoph. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guy Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And today we have a very special guest who, with us today who's going to talk about poisoning our bodies. Um, we've got some interesting topics from a uh, recovering corporate lawyer <laughs> and a successful software company consultant to the IT industry. But today we're not going to talk about anything to do with lawyers or starting companies. We're actually going to be talking about how he um, took himself with forty extra kilos in his waistline, and basically found out that he was poisoning himself with sugar. Welcome, David Gillespie. G'day, uh, David. Tell us about your book. Um, I think it's called Sweet Poison: uh, Why Sugar Makes Us Fat. Tell us how you got started with this book, and you know why did you actually decide to write this book.
1: Um, well, the book was really so that I would stop boring people to death um, with uh, complicated answers to what I was doing about my diet. Um, because the answer to the question a lot of people, you know, people would notice when I lost 40 kilos and I did, um, and they would say, oh, what did you do? And I would say, well, I stopped eating sugar. And that never seemed to be quite enough of an answer. And the full answer is a little bit too much of an answer. And, and my wife, um, in desperation at me boring everyone to death with the answers, um, said, you know, what would be a good idea is if you just wrote that down, and then you could just give that to them. Uh, and so I did. So Sweet Poison really is the story of what I did and why. Um, and I guess, in short, what it is, is uh, the story of me discovering exactly how bad the fructose half of sugar is for me um, and what the science says about it and exactly what it will do to our bodies um, and what I did in implementing it. uh, And it tells that story.
2: So, David... Your journey, to sum it up, you carried some weight, you lost some weight. You've obviously tried to lose weight in the past. Like many people have. You know, it's usually not the first time people lose weight that they get a chance to write about it. But um, in discovering, did you, look, did you do the low fat thing? Ever done that before?
1: I, I've done everything. You know, I, I didn't wake up one morning forty kilos heavier. I'd, I'd steadily put on weight um, over decades, and yeah. you know, as a lot of people do. You know, you you a little bit heavier here a little bit heavier there next year you have to upgrade your pants size um and and so you're steadily putting on weight uh, and i've done all of that and every now and then i decided you know this was no good i need to do something about this and i'd try this or that diet that i'd heard on the television you know cabbage shoot diet or atkins diet or whatever you want and they all worked uh, they all worked for exactly as long as my willpower lasted, which was usually around about two weeks. Um, and um, they would you know knock off a couple of kilos, um, and they'd be horrible, and uh, I'd be hungry the whole time. And uh, then the willpower would give out, and the, the whatever weight I'd managed to lose would usually come back with a bit of interest. Um, so I knew pretty well about dieting, and and I knew how they worked. And and all of that was a little bit illogical to me because it seemed to me, looking around at the planet, that we were the only animal on it that needed willpower to control our weight. Every other species um can control their weight on autopilot exactly the same way they control their height or their skin colour. Um and yet humans seemed uniquely in need of willpower in order to control their weight. Well Us and any species that we feed are in that category, and every other species seems to be just fine. Um, So I started to want to know, I'm the kind of person who wants to know how things work, and I didn't feel that I understood how our body worked or how we processed food. And so I started, I guess, on a journey of investigation, trying to find the answer to 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 that simple question, which is why was willpower so uniquely necessary for us?
3: And, and so what was, the, what was the aha moment, David? When was it that you went, wow, maybe it's sugar?
1: Uh, actually, uh, very early on in the piece, I came across uh, a, an article written in the 1950s um, uh, by a naval surgeon, uh, Dr. Cleave, uh, in the British Navy. And Dr. Cleave wrote an article which was not exactly user-friendly, but his article looked at sugar and I think on about page five of that article he put a graph that he'd managed to put together from various data sources which showed British sugar consumption since I think about 1870 through to when he wrote the article which is in the the 1950s and the graph was just an extraordinary upward curve of sugar consumption and he said, just take one look at that and tell me that we're not doing something really unique in the history of, of humankind in terms of changing what we are consuming. And he didn't know anything much about the science, but he did know that when he told his patients not to eat sugar, they, they started losing weight incredibly quickly. Um, Interesting and and, and and I thought, that is interesting, but why would it be like that? And that's when I started looking for a scientific explanation as to what might drive that.
2: That's fascinating because, you know, many you – know, there's been so many diets and I suppose that we have a lot of stuff that lingers around from the 1980s, but to think that, you know, way back then there was at least a suspicion that sugar might have been the poison, might have been the problem, and then, you know, you look at the early 90s and the resurgence of the Atkins program, which you did mention that you'd done, mm. and uh, – and, and that excluded, you know, obviously sugar and all kinds, of, all carbohydrates, really, that excluded that. And now we've come back around and now many people are eating more primal. They're going to the paleo thing. And the one key thing, like the underpinning piece of this, is that it's low sugar or restriction of carbohydrates. It seems to be yeah. the winner. And uh, in everybody that we interview that has any kind of. What, what seems to be fair income, true knowledge of health and wellness. Sugar seems to be the poison and you, you aptly named your book that. And it's interesting that, you, that that was what you wrote about, which is so great, but it's obviously ruffled a lot of people with feathers too, which I think is a classic because, you know, these people um, whose feathers you've ruffled are often uh, paid by people that have other ulterior motives. And, and of course, um, I, I just love that you've done what you've done. I think it's great. But um, there's many people out there probably thinking, oh, well, you know, it's, it's good for him to go and write a book and all that sort of stuff and, you know, he just cut out sugar and he must have had lots of support from his wife and all that sort of stuff and they've always got excuses. But where do you start? Like, how does somebody start by cutting out the sugar? Because it's such a big thing.
1: The first thing you've got to do is realize that you're addicted to this substance just as much as you're addicted to nicotine or caffeine or any other addictive substance It's not food, it's a highly addictive substance and you have to understand that that is what you're dealing with and you have to treat it in the same way. The only way to stop eating sugar permanently is to break that addiction, which means going through a withdrawal period, very, very similar to a nicotine withdrawal period. Now, most people who've done both tell me that they're they're identical. I've never smoked, so I can't tell you whether it is or not, but most people who say, I gave up cigarettes and then I gave up sugar tell me that the experience is very similar. There's this two to four week period where they go through withdrawal, where they have uh, mood swings, where they have cravings, where they have uh, depressive feelings, etc. And that addiction is what drives what they perceive before they give up as hunger. And it's not, um, it's just an addiction giving us cravings, which feel like hunger and that's interesting and the reason that that they feel like hunger is because the addiction mechanism knows that that will get us to eat sugar and the reason it knows that is because in today's society eating anything pretty much
2: guarantees that you will be eating sugar <laughs> unless it's grass-fed cattle so that's well, unless, uh,
1: unless, it's, unless it's whole food and and true. The, the reality is, though, that that eighty to ninety percent of what the average person eats is not whole food. Um, and if they're buying food in a packet of any description, if someone else has made their food for them, you can be almost certain that they put a significant amount of sugar in it. If I gave you a task, if I said go to the lo- local supermarket now and write down a list of all the foods um, that have that are processed foods, uh, not whole foods. That have more than three grams per hundred sorry that have less than three grams per hundred sugar in them uh, you would need a postage stamp to write that list on and you'd probably still have room for the Lord's Prayer it's a very <laughs> very short list indeed yeah that's yeah
3: story. it's amazing isn't it and you know we've spoken to others about this and I remember Rob Wolf telling us that he'd had someone who he'd helped to give up sugar or perhaps it was carbohydrates but talking about the fact that they, they'd actually been a recovering drug addict. And they'd actually found it easier to give up the drugs than they had to give up the sugar, which was just
1: amazing. When, um, you, talk people, when you talk to people who do, who treat addictions, um, particularly alcohol addiction, uh, I, I've spoken to some very interesting folks who involved in treating Aboriginal alcohol addiction, who've um, said they've always known um, that it is easier to treat alcoholics if you take them off the sugar at the same time as you take them off the alcohol. Um, and I've thought that that's a very interesting thing. There's, there's no medical evidence to back that up. That's just anecdotal. But these are people who've got to find easier ways to do their job and that is one of the ways they find.
3: Well, I, think, I think that makes sense because I think it, it links in with what we know about the stress response in the body and, and the different ways you can stress your body. And, and so we know really when that stress response is switched on, then, then you tend to be in more of a craving state. You tend to be more open to those addictions, I guess. Um so I, I think it happens in uh, in lots of different addiction areas. I I often think about it when I'm sitting you know you go through a pub and you see the pokey area there and you see all those biscuits and sweets and you know, and you think, well it's interesting that they choose to have you know the coffee and the the, the biscuits and the carbohydrates there as a free thing in those areas and And I often wonder whether there's a link there that they know about
2: that perhaps they haven't told us oh. I know you could be onto something, mate. <laughs> oh, you might have uncovered something. Yeah, it's interesting. You well, know, it's,
1: it's why smokers often, when they give up the smokes, switch to sweets. Um, all they're doing is transferring an addiction, and and that's a well-known facet of addiction, which is that um, when you break one addiction, you have to be very careful not to transfer to another.
2: We have spoken about that, and I think actually we did speak about this with Rob Wolf, was the cannabinoid. Um, um, response or um, receptors, you know, respond similarly to carbohydrate fuels, which is interesting. You reckon, David? Do you reckon that when you did other low carb eating programs, mm. that you know how you said before that you were hungry and it lasted two weeks? Do you reckon that was you coming off your addiction?
1: Um, it, it possibly was, and and not realizing that that's what I was doing. Um, and that's why I said the first thing you've got to do is realize that what you're doing is breaking an addiction, not dieting. Um, Because once you get through that phase, and like I said, for most people, it lasts around two to four weeks. Once you get through that phase though, your view of food in general has usually changed quite significantly. Um, You're no longer being driven by cravings. You're no longer desperately seeking food um, or what was really going on was desperately seeking sugar. Now, this is just not me speculating. I've got to make this really, really clear. I'm not a doctor. I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm concerned, the only relevant skill that I'm bringing to this equation is the ability to look at and understand evidence. Yeah, Um, investigate. So what what I'm saying when I say something like sugar is addictive, that's not just me making a guess, that's me summarising what the research says, which is that there is an addiction mechanism there, which is very, very similar to nicotine, Um, and... It's not anecdotal that there are these withdrawal periods. They're documented. So it's when, we're look, when we look at this and say, okay, what's actually going on here is breaking an addiction cycle, then that's what the evidence says is happening.
3: Yeah, and you're absolutely right about that, David. I was actually reading a book at the moment called uh, Wheat Belly, which is fascinating. And they were talking about the opioid receptors in the brain. And and one of the things they're talking about is the fact that they were able to give people opioid blockers and drastically change those addictions, which which is yes. further evidence that it's a there, real
1: addictive process. There, there are inter- there's some interesting research on using opioid blockers. That, I mean, it's well known that, that you can change people's appetite with opioid blockers. Um, and... The interesting thing is, how does that fit into a sugar? Because a sugar is not an opioid. But the interesting thing there is that fructose is unique among sugars, and that's the fructose half of sugar. Sugar is half glucose, half fructose. The fructose half of sugar is unique amongst carbohydrates in that what it does is produce a cortisol spike. Cortisol, of course, um, is an opioid um, and produces a, a, a dopamine response in the brain. So it's... Uh, it's interesting that a that sugar can produce that response, even though it, it itself is not an opioid.
3: Yes, fascinating, isn't it? So So David, what did you do differently this time? Like what was the difference between the previous diets you'd done and, and then what you, you did this time that, that sort of caused you to write the book?
1: What was interesting was that um, the weight loss started immediately and continued. And then after, I didn't realize what was going on at the time was that after withdrawal period, which I didn't know was a withdrawal period, but after that, it the cravings went and it was dreadfully easy to stay on this thing. All I had to do was just make sure that I not eat anything that tasted sweet. That's all I had to do. That was the only rule I was following. Eat anything else I liked, whenever I wanted, no matter how much I wanted, didn't matter. Um... But just don't eat anything that tastes sweet. And I so did. That's, it that's like no fruit that. as well. Uh, well, I didn't intentionally avoid fruit because fruit. I, I had a rule which was I'm only avoiding foods with added sugar. So okay. fruit is is a whole food and eaten in its original packaging, it's fine. Yep. Um, it's only when you juice it, which is remove the sugar and throw away everything else, um, that, that you have to worry about fruit. Um, so I wasn't intentionally avoiding fruit. Nowadays, I don't actually eat fruit because uh, uh, there's nothing you can get from a piece of fruit that you can't get from a vegetable without all the sugar. So, but at the time, I wasn't avoiding it. Um, and, and even now, I'm not avoiding it. I just wouldn't go out of my way to eat it. Um, the interesting thing is that Once you get through that withdrawal phase, it's incredibly easy to stick to this. All you have to do is just remember that single rule. Don't eat anything that tastes sweet. Other than that, eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Um, And the weight just kept coming off, and that was unique for me. That had never happened before with me, you know, where – because by that point, usually on a diet, I – was desperate to return to eating normally, um, no matter how successful it had been then. Uh, but but with this, it just seemed so easy. And the other interesting thing is that all this happened for me nine years ago. Um, and now, and in those intervening nine years, I've stayed exactly the same weight that I was when the weight loss stopped. So the interesting thing there is that I went from a life where weight was continuing to pile on at an inevitable rate to a life where I can now eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as long as it doesn't taste sweet, um, and the weight stays exactly the same. So I've gone from can't even look sideways at a packet of Tim Tams without putting on a kilo <laughs> to just being normal, I guess, uh-huh. is, is my sense of it.
3: Well, it's it. interesting, though, that you use the word Taste sweet, so I assume by that you're then excluding those artificial sweeteners and uh, and your stevia and uh, you know aspartame and all those sort of things. Is, is that?
1: Am I getting that right? Well, my view of those is that they're methadone for sugar addicts. Um, they are <laughs> a great thing to use during the withdrawal period, and you're going to need something during the withdrawal mm-hmm. period to simulate the the sweetness that you're used to um the interesting thing that happens during withdrawal is that you start to lose your taste for sweet in the sense that your palate adjusts quite a lot during withdrawal things that you thought were kind of bland at the start of withdrawal like i used to think bananas were very very bland fruit by the end of withdrawal i thought they were intensely sweet fruit Um, and you you have a, a, your palate broadens and becomes much more sensitive after you remove that that filter of sugar in everything. The interesting thing is that when you get to the end of withdrawal, a lot of people say that the things that they thought tasted like sugar, you know, like sucralose, spartane, stevia, things like that, at the start of withdrawal, no longer taste like sugar to them at the end. Yeah. Um, they're no longer a close match to what they remembered sugar tasting like. In fact, most of them say they taste kind of chemical-like and not very pleasant. So, a lot of people give them up voluntarily at the end of withdrawal. So, I say, look, if if it's all it's going to take is a month worth of consuming these things to get you off sugar permanently, then go for it,
0: David. Yeah. Good, quick, quick question. I mean, a lot of people are listening to this. You know, they go to the grocery stores and they obviously know that, you know, say a chocolate bar will have a lot of sugar. Are there any items that you would find or people should be, you know, really looking out for to say that, you know, that has, they think that it's actually healthy for them and they don't think that it actually added any sugar at all, um, but actually contains a lot more sugar than they think. Is there items that, you know, you could mention uh, that's in your book?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, everything in the middle of the supermarket, but in particular <laughs> and so what i'm saying is if you, if you stick to whole foods you don't need any rules okay if you're eating meat fruit veggies uh milk eggs um you don't need any any rules about anything okay that's that none of that's got added sugar all of it's fine um some assembly is required when you get home um however if you are shopping from the center of the supermarket then there's it, it, there are a lot of sugar traps there for you. Uh, obviously, no breakfast cereals um, are going to enter your, your trolley except for rolled oats, wheat biscuits, things like that, because just about every other breakfast cereal sold in Australia is between 20 and 30% sugar. Um, so uh, breakfast cereals uh, are off the list. That's it, not it carbon carbon forage, experience. of course. Sorry?
2: I said, exactly. Well, forage, of course, which doesn't have the added sugar, mate? That's right. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Just going to defend much. you there, mate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say buy, was that's carb- That's that's sugar, not carbohydrate. You're talking about, right? So yeah. carbohydrate, because most most cereals I have found are around about sixty to seventy percent carbohydrate, um, and yeah. of that, it's twenty to thirty percent sugar. Yeah, and
1: and usually a good guide to the highest sugar ones are the ones with half foundation ticks on them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and there's a simple reason for that, which is low that, fat. um, wh- low fat, but also the heart foundation doesn't count sugar at all. Um, which is why they give a tick to say uncle Toby's fruit fix, which is 72% sugar. Um, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. So, um, the, interesting thing is okay so breakfast cereals now that might not surprise most people um that breakfast cereals have sugar in them um but some of the others that do catch people by surprise are any kind of condiment so sauces um tomato sauce uh low-fat mayonnaise um barbecue sauce barbecue sauce 55 sugar has more sugar than chocolate sauce um uh, sweet chili sauce usually 60 to 70 percent sugar um so any condiment, as a general rule, is going to have significant amounts of sugar in it. Uh, tomato sauce, your average tomato sauce is about a quarter sugar. Um, uh, yogurts, uh, newsflash, yogurts are not sweet. Um, well, they shouldn't be, but you wouldn't know that from looking in the yogurt section of most supermarkets. Um, you know, everything but the Greek yogurt is got a fair whack of sugar in it.
2: In different forms too, because you know, David. When you say that, I know there are some brands out there that use a um, like a, a, a grape concentrate or grape juice concentrate.
1: Oh, that's um, the that's the latest trend in foods, um, particularly in yogurts, which is to use a fruit juice concentrate so that they can put on the front of the label no added cane sugar, Um, knowing full well that they're putting just as much fructose in the product, um, probably a little bit more, by using a fruit juice concentrate. A fruit juice concentrate is not a better form of sugar, a fructose molecule doesn't know whether it came from a piece of fruit or a piece of grass, Um, you know, it's it's still a fructose molecule and it's still bad for you
2: still has issues isn't it absolutely what's well, they you know obviously very very they're excellent points and certainly people become more and more aware of it but of course you know sugar in, in its in its in the sense that we're talking about it here it, we're talking about the sweetness of sugar but there's other things that uh, have a very similar effect on the body that aren't sugar but uh, that behave like sugar so for example you know, the humble spud, which has got, you know, some starch and those sorts of things. Many people avoid those sorts of things. Is, does that come into your, your bundle as well, David?
1: No, not really. Um, the uh, carbohydrates, carbohydrate metabolism is messed up by sugar. Um, mm-hmm. So... Fructose affects our ability to metabolize carbohydrates. As you would know, the the vast majority of what we eat is ultimately turned into glucose because we're a machine that runs on pure glucose. Um, And what fructose does and how it does a lot of the dreadful metabolic stuff that it does. Now, I should emphasize here, being fat is the least of anyone's worries about fructose. It's just the most obvious symptom. That we get from it. And, and luckily, in a way, for most of us, it is an obvious symptom that gives us a warning that something's going on. Mm. But the real danger is what else is going on under the surface with fructose. The way it is metabolized by our body is quite different from glucose. It's metabolized directly to fat, it interferes with our appetite control systems, it, it makes us fat by breaking our internal fuel gauge. In doing that, it creates fat around the liver or so-called visceral fat which ultimately leads to insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. In its metabolism, it creates uric acid as a byproduct, which leads to gout, um, chronic kidney disease, um, and hypertension. Um, And those are just the immediate effects of this substance. There are cascades through to advanced glycemic end products, um, through to Alzheimer's, through to depression, uh, using the dopamine system, uh, and even through to heart disease, because of the effect that it has on LDL particle size. So there's a lot of cascading effects from this one molecule.
2: I think that actually uh, happens uh, uh, not only just from fructose, mate, but it actually happens from just too much blood sugar just generally, of course, you know. So, so if,
1: well, Yeah, so getting back to your question then, let's talk about that. Yeah. Because one of the really interesting things about fructose is it messes up our carbohydrate metabolism. Our carbohydrate metabolism, as I said, we're a machine designed to run on fuel glucose. Um, we can run on fuel glucose as long as that system for monitoring um, our carbohydrate con- system is not broken and fructose uniquely messes with that system in two very interesting ways so we have uh, i guess a fuel control system in the pancreas and that it detects blood glucose releases an appropriate amount of insulin insulin is used to get rid of the glucose and the, and the glucose is used by every cell in the body for energy fructose messes with that system by interfering with that insulin single signal uh, and hardwires that signal increasingly off center so that your you are increasingly not getting the response from insulin that you previously would have gotten. This is termed insulin resistance. Do it for long enough and it turns into type 2 diabetes. But fructose is interfering with that, that signal from insulin to um, our appetite control centers in the brain, telling us to stop consuming because we've consumed enough carbohydrate. Fructose is messing with that signal. So, in consuming fructose, we actually uh, paradoxically, end up with a higher blood glucose level. So it's the fructose interference with the signal that, the, that controls our blood glucose level that ensures that ultimately we end up with too much glucose in our bloodstream. Remove that metabolic interference, remove that, that, um, that disabling of that signal and people's carbohydrate metabolism starts to return to normal.
3: So, David, obviously, in terms of recommendations for people, I'm guessing your recommendation for them is to just stop eating sugar. Um, but what can they expect? Like how long do they need to keep doing that for to see significant change? What should they expect over that time? Are there any tips you can give them to help make that process a bit easier?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I guess the first, as I said before, recognise that what you're dealing with is an addiction, not a diet, um, and that you are going to have to go through that period of intense cravings, and but know that it will stop. Uh, it will stop and then suddenly you will be able to get through the day and wonder whether you've even had a meal um, because you are no longer craving driven by a sugar addiction. Um, So that's an important thing to know about it. Um, I guess the other important thing to know about it is that for some people it can take a long time to reverse the damage in that uh, the reason a lot of people like doing this sort of thing is because they want to lose weight. For most men, they start losing weight immediately. Most women don't start losing weight immediately. Like for most women, they'll, they'll be off sugar two to three months before they start losing any weight at all. And then suddenly it will start kicking in and they'll start behaving like men in the sense that their, their weight will start coming off at a very even pace. Um, so it's it's worth knowing that at the outset. Um, the other important thing to know is that even if you don't lose a gram doing this, um, the metabolic improvements that you will experience over time are significant. Um, you will reverse fatty liver disease. You will reverse insulin resistance. Um, you will significantly improve your risk factors for a raft of horrible chronic diseases. Thank you. And so, sir. how long
3: should they? How long should they expect those cravings to last?
1: um it depends it really depends how much sugar you've been consuming beforehand um and it depends uh each person is different with an addiction um you could ask a smoker how long did it take you to quit someone will say it took me three days another person will say it took me three months the same thing goes for sugar as a general rule just from the feedback that i've had i know that for me it was about two to four weeks i know that most men seem to say it was in that range two to four weeks most women say it starts out being in that range and then every month uh, if they're, if they're um, premenopausal menopausal um, they're going to get a little reminder and there are very good hormonal reasons why um, uh, the monthly cycle reintroduces the cravings for women, but they do get through that. So it can be longer and slower for women, um, but for men, it'll, it'll be that two to four weeks pretty much take it to the bank.
0: David, thank you so much for your insights and uh, your comments. Uh, If you want to know more about the book, it's called Sweet Poison, Why Sugar Makes Us Fat. I believe there's a series of books, right, David? That you've that's written? Yeah, that's right. So if you want more information, go to sweetpoison.com.au and there's tons of information there. You can actually get in touch with David to find out more. He's got a couple of websites that uh, you can get more information and also get uh, some recipes as well to actually uh, have things without sugar in it. Um, so thanks, David. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, David.
1: Pleasure.
0: Great. So for the fans for the wellness guys make sure you go to the website www.thewellnessguys.com leave a comment below this episode and tell us what you think tell us what you think about david and his book and if you read it uh, tell us what uh, strategies and implementations you've actually put into place and how that has actually helped you um you know get rid of the cravings for sugar and so make sure you go to facebook and then tell us what you think. thinking and- Basically, carry the conversation there. So, as always, until next week, begin creating wellness into our lives. Lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guy Show.